Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor, and here today with me we have Emma, who uh, joins us every week. Emma, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. And Alex Nielsen, Investment Manager, Invest at Click and Invest. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Been an interesting week this week in terms of what we've seen. So inflation came out again. Uh, we spoke about this um, around four weeks ago, as, as we do, but surprisingly it rose to 2.7%. This was quite a surprise. It was meant to drop to 2.4% from 2.5% in July, but it seems to have gone up. Some varied things. Why? Alex, this seemed a bit surprised this week. What did you think from your side? Yeah, the market was quite surprised by the leap in inflation up to 2.7. I think it's quite interesting to see that it's catching up with wage inflation now at 2.9. It has wide-ranging impacts for the Bank of England's sort of monetary policy and interest rate policy going forward. So it's an interesting development in in the market so far. I've read uh, quite a few people saying this week it kind of it vindicates the, the Bank of England's action in uh, to raise rates, which a lot of people were kind of sceptical of. But obviously, I suppose their view that the economy can't grow without being inflationary, contrary to people just suggesting that it has to be wage inflation that drives um, the drives inflation seems to be coming true at the moment. But there's some, some interesting quirks in the inflation. It seemed to come from slightly volatile things, didn't it, in terms of transport and things like that? Yeah, exactly. So transport. I mean, you've seen the oil price tick up a bit. You've also seen weakness in sterling over the last sort of couple of months, which has fed into it and will feed into it for the next year or so, at least. I mean, it's interesting in terms of Bank of England monetary policy because they have said that after Brexit, they aren't willing to let inflation run away. So whereas people were thinking that maybe they've raised their interest rates now just to lower them next year it's interesting that they have said that they are not willing to do that so you you know the fact that inflation is rising is interesting and and the fact that it's coming from different sources apart from core inflation so core inflation looks like it made fall back towards the end of this year so core inflation kind of strips out the more volatile items yeah exactly yeah. yeah so so those parts of it. But then you've seen sterling weakness over the last few months. You've seen, you know, oil price start to tick up. These sort of feeding into the the absolute inflation number, which is why it's sort of ticking up over, over time. Okay. No, it's interesting to, definitely to see um, how Bank of England policy reacts to this. Um, obviously, that's a huge driver of a lot of asset classes, as we, we often discuss and will do later in the show. The other thing this week was, obviously, um, as this seems to be a reoccurring theme in terms of Donald Trump saying something to someone else and someone else being upset about it, but the trade war with China seems to have um, escalated, although, surprisingly, markets don't seem to have reacted. It's um, It's been quite bizarre. They seem to have reacted to less important statements between US and China compared to this week, which seemed quite fundamental, but have taken it on the chin. It's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah, trade wars, it's in the market. It's, I don't want to say blasé, but it's, it's news every day about you know, the trade war between China and the US. It's interesting to see that Donald Trump is obviously not backing away from China and they're sort of, they are head to head, although China is less aggressive in its stance and also the the vocalisation it has about the trade war. So yeah, you've seen 200 billion pounds worth of imports into America now with tariffs, and he's mentioned number 260 billion. Lots of people focused on the US midterms in November, and that's the, a lot of people think it's the, he's positioning for that. In my opinion, he's now so deep into this trade war that even after the midterms, people think maybe the, these might disappear. I'd, I'm, I'm not of the opinion that it will. I think Donald Trump is one. It's he's become his key policy so far this year and in the presidential term, and also doesn't seem to be the type of person that will back away from this. He's provocative. And he wants to get this done. He wants this to be his sort of flagstone, you know, the first term of his presidency. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as you, as you, you quite rightly point out, a lot of this priced in emerging markets um, have 
significantly suffered this year, um, and China in particular. Interesting. So we're recording this on Friday the 21st. So far this morning, the market seemed to be quite stronger and it seems to be spreading elsewhere into Europe as well. And US yields uh, above 3%, which we will talk about later on in the show as well. But it does seem as if some uh, some capital is moving back into risk assets from the safe havens such as US treasuries. Yeah, you've seen emerging markets sort of have a, a bit of a bounce recently, which is which is helpful. Yeah, it's a good uh, news for all investors, I'm sure, who exactly. have uh, some, some things out there. The other thing interesting was um, this was the first week I don't think there was a fun launch this week, but this is after a long trend of there being fun launches every single week. Emma, it's been uh, it's been busy on the fun fun launch scene, haven't we? We've seen quite a lot of what we've seen. We've seen yeah, definitely. I mean, so far this year, we've already had nine IPOs, um, which is a lot. And as you say, we've in the last couple of months, I think since people came back from holiday, maybe there's been a massive spate of um, funds saying that they're going to launch. We've had the Smithson Investment Trust, the Bias Investment Trust. Old Mutual talking about setting up a private equity investment trust. That's a lot to think about. Absolutely. Uh, interesting that there's um, normally, and I'm sure you, you see this in, in your job, Alex, which is, you know, uh, essentially buying funds. When fund launches come uh, in numerous amounts, they, they always tend to be, as in my, my experience of writing about funds, is they always tend to be around the same asset classes, a popular asset class, and the fund launches follow. This is, this is quite varied in what's going on at the moment. It's quite interesting. I've not seen some, so many fund launches um, operating in different asset classes before. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a, a symptom of the market. No one really knows exactly what's going on. You've got lots of different factors feeding into it. Obviously, tech is, you know, everyone's focused on tech currently. But the market currently doesn't have a direction and hasn't, you know, for the last few years. Some uh, merger things still going on as well um, in the IT space, and we'll be discussing that in the magazine next week. The uh, main news this week in the magazine, Michael Scott, he's the manager of the Schroeder High Yield Opportunities Fund. Uh, He's leaving Schroeder's um, later on this year and going to Mangioji in December. Um, Surprisingly, staying with Schroeder's um, in the meantime to do a handover, which is quite rare. Normally, they get put on gardening leave. The High Yield Opportunities Fund is, is quite a good fund. It's an IC Top 100 fund. Which is a shame, obviously included in uh, last week's, but then the, the manager's departed, so that, uh, that one needs to be looked at. Um, but Emma, you've got uh, more on this one here. Tell us some more about what's going on. Yeah, as you mentioned, Michael Scott's going to be moving to ManGLG. And ManGLG have actually been really bolstering their fixed income team in the last few months. They recently acquired some assets from a boutique, Sanlim 4, and they also acquired uh, another manager from for that company. So they seem to be really wanting to boost their their managers in this space. Yeah, that was the uh, the Sanlam Shishik Bond Fund as well, wasn't it? That they've, they've yeah, bought. that's right. So that'll be uh, taken over there. Um, a popular fund, we like that on the IC. It was tipped um, a few months ago. But yeah, so what's, uh, what's happening at Schroeder's after his departure? Yeah, so there are going to be two credit managers, existing credit managers at Schroeder's who are going to be taking over Schroeder High Yield Opportunities. And they are Dan Pearson and Constantine Liedman. So they're going to be taking over this fund and as you say, Michael Scott's going to be staying up until most of the time that he, um, up until when he starts at ManGRG to do this handover. So hopefully there's going to be quite a lot of continuity um, in terms of a fund. Okay, is there any, uh, any other funds uh, affected? Does Michael Scott do anything else apart from the high yield fund? Yes, he also runs Schroeder Strategic Bond Fund, and that's going to be taken over by Patrick Vogel, who's a lead manager of Schroeder ISF Global Credit Income. Okay. Um, and generally, what do we think about this? Obviously, Michael Scott is quite popular. Um, say he's included in the IC Top 100. Analysts tend to speak quite highly of him. 
big loss for Schroders, but what what's their what are their thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the fund has performed very well. It's got a yield of six point two percent currently, and over five years, um, which is during the ten year that Mr. Scott's been there, it's made forty three point two percent. So pretty good for a bond fund. And yes, people were concerned, obviously, that he is leaving. But as you've mentioned, there seems to be it's going to be quite a steady handover. And Schroeder obviously has a very um, large credit uh, team. It's about 30 people strong. And they're very focused on a team management approach to to running this fund. So actually, the analysts suggested that there wasn't necessarily any need for investors to run out and sell this fund. It it should be in good hands in, in terms of... Um, the team approach that Schroeder takes. Okay, great. Uh, Alex, what do you think about this? How do you react to managers' changes? You must have come across a few in your time. Yeah, you do unfortunately see managers departing and, and moving firms quite often. Um, if you, There are a couple of factors for this. It really depends for us on, one, was the manager being held back by the current process in the firm? And two, are they taking the whole team with them or are they just leaving? So where we're looking at the Schroders, they obviously have a strong analyst team with just the manager leaving. We would prefer to see maybe the whole team, unless it wasn't working, we prefer to see the whole team moving across. Otherwise, are we investing in one person when we're investing in a fund? Not really. We're investing in the whole approach. So without the whole team leaving, there's not really that much. Until they're set up in the new the new firm and we can see you know, the process and the performance and how it's carrying on, we wouldn't generally tend to move around straight across. Okay. Um, in terms of the, the existing team, um, let's say the example you just gave you, obviously you, you stay remaining with the, the firm and the process that you've bought into. I assume you monitor them. So how long would you give them to prove that they can manage without the, the star man, I suppose, is the question. I mean, I would never put a time frame on it. You know, we're investing in the team and the process and the, area of the market that we're looking to invest in for each fund so i would never say you know we're going to give them one year to to prove themselves however if the process broke down or the original investment thesis behind that investment was not holding true then obviously we would exit the fund as we would anyone else okay um have you um you ever followed a manager from the company obviously important to this question is the fact that michael scott will be launching a fund at mangel g at some point in the future but you know would you if you were invested would you be tempted to jump across with michael scott i, I wouldn't personally but i think that is maybe sort of the, the fallacy of investing in one person as opposed to a team approach you know no one is running a fund on their own or very very few people are running a fund on their own and they do need that support group behind them especially if they're running a lot of money and you know if you're talking about one person trying to cover at least 50 stocks it's just it's just almost impossible so no i've never moved across just because a fund manager has moved okay and what about high yield as an asset class an interesting time for high yield um globally i suppose given where where we are in the credits and interest rate cycle but also, you know, their correlation to equities is also quite high and equities have been doing quite well. So it's, uh, where, where do we stand on it? Yeah, exactly. Well, we've seen, we've seen equities do quite well. We've seen high yield spreads come in, especially in the US. We're looking at, what, 3.2 over the over the 10-year. So they've come right down to, to the lows. And we're also starting to see interest rates tick up in the US. So it is interesting. And we are obviously nearer to the end of the credit cycle than the start. So it's a really interesting area to be in currently. Are you are you allocated um, at the moment in your portfolios? Yeah, we do have some high yield exposure. We also have um, exposure to sort of uh, floating rate notes as well. Okay, great. Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the inflation surprise this week was was quite interesting, and as, as we talked about, 
possibly does justify the the Bank of England's stance um, on its rate cycle and the reasons behind it. A lot of people suggesting that we we might see kind of a bit more rate action, slow and steady, but it it may happen. Um, But it also makes people think um, about insurance, especially for inflation and how to make sure at least your portfolio matches with inflation. A common, perhaps misconception, is that inflation-linked gilts and inflation-linked bonds, gilts being the UK government bond version of this, um, are a good asset for this. Um, However, like with any asset class, they have pros and cons. Alex, is, is an inflationary environment that we're in now a good environment for in, in, index-linked gilts? I mean, the best environment for inflation-linked gilts would be high inflation, low interest rates or falling interest rates. And are we in that environment? Maybe coming into it, but not currently. You know, we've got sort of average inflation. It's not particularly high, but we are seeing monetary policy tick up. And I think one of the problems with inflation in guilt is that the duration is so high in most of them the so duration is um i suppose it's, the it's, easiest way to explain it is the the average length until maturity of the bonds that you're buying into. yeah almost it's, it's yes the the degree to which interest rate changes affect a bond's price or yield so where you see interest rates uh, increase you normally see bonds prices fall and therefore they tend to lose money okay do you use them in your portfolios? I suppose, you know, every every asset class has a, a time and a place and, and you mentioned uh when when it works for index linked gilts, but do they do they have a place generally, even as a kind of static low to medium allocation? Yeah, we do we do hold index linked gilts in, in four out of five of our portfolios. And that's partly because they are you know they are protecting against inflation. One, they're slightly lower volatility, so they're there as a defensive asset, and they do give us a real yield because they are protecting against inflation. Okay, cool. Again, onto emerging markets. It's quite interesting. So we uh, we were talking on the podcast a few weeks ago about Turkey and Argentina and some of the uh, some of the issues that had kind of started this uh, route in emerging markets. There was contagion from these two countries that had very specific currency issues. Um, these these seem to have kind of calmed down a bit. What's um, what's the outlook for the rest of the year from your side, Alex? Yes, you have seen you have seen emerging markets have a small bounce, and it's it's typical of the area that the news has sort of moved on to trade policy again from political news. So we have seen Turkey, that's sort of that's sort of dropped out of people's heads, really, instead of last month. It was, you know, the, the only thing that people could talk about. And Absolutely. the Turkish lira still hasn't hasn't recovered anywhere near enough for it to be a not a worry. And then you've got Argentina, who, again, is slowly recovering. And, you know, they've gone to the IMF, and that's, that, look, that all looks quite positive in that area. Um, but I think the split in emerging markets is is quite diverse. I think people say emerging markets is it's one market, when in reality there are so many different markets, and they're doing completely different things, and their economies are interconnected, but not to the level that most people think. That they tend to be grouped together when particular. They're not really so. You have seen, yeah, Turkey and Argentina perform poorly so far, but they are coming, you know, they're, they're sort of turning the corner. Whereas you have seen, you know, the likes of India do quite well so far this year. Okay. In terms of when you're looking at emerging market funds, then how much are you paying attention to the, the geographical allocation in that fund? We do pay attention to that. It's, however, as I say, you know, they are grouped together. So we're, we're investing in a global emerging markets fund. So we're looking for them to, to look globally at, their positioning and rather than just purely geographic we would be more focused on the plays they're making within the fund and their thinking 
rather than just making sure that they're spread across the world so we can access to every single market. Okay. Um, and in terms of your views, the, f- the fundamentals in emerging markets, obviously um, a difficult year so far. Some people thinking it might be a now a buying opportunity given the volatility we've seen. Um, where, where do you stand on this in terms of your portfolios? Have you, what have you been doing with the allocations? So we've held emerging markets all the way through this year. I mean, personally, if I was to speak to any investor who is looking to invest for the long term, you should always have a, a portion in emerging markets. I mean, we invest in emerging markets for growth. And the reason is because they grow faster than developed markets. So we have always had an exposure to emerging markets through this sort of crisis or well, I'll say crisis. But, uh, mini crisis. Yeah, mini it. crisis, probably, probably fair. I mean, one of the main drivers so far this year has been currency and currency weakness, especially in Argentina and Turkey. And one of the main problems for funds is how do you hedge that currency risk? It's too expensive to hedge directly. So you either have to take a bet and say, okay, we're going to we're going to stay with this this investment even though the currency is going to weaken on us, or you can just exit that entirely. So our fund exited Turkey entirely, so they they didn't have any exposure to it throughout the crisis. Okay, um, and which which funds do you do you like to use in the space? So we hold Hermes Global Emerging Markets. Ah, so Gary Greenberg, another IC Top One Hundred fund. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's sort of our our Global Emerging Markets fund. We also hold Schroeder uh, Asian Alpha Plus as sort of an Asia play as well. Okay, cool. As you were saying, it's, it's always helpful to have some exposure. Um, a lot of people talking about buying the dip in emerging markets. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, what we've seen, obviously, is from Turkey and Argentina, we mentioned, but a lot is also down to the trade wars with China. Uh, Chinese equities, in particular, have had a very difficult year. Emma, we've uh, profiled a fund this week that might be offering a good opportunity. What's uh, what's going on over here? Yes, um, so we looked at Fidelity China Special Situations, which is an IC Top 100 fund. And um, we were sort of making the case that actually it is a case of buying the dips because the Chinese market has fallen 12% since January. And that means that obviously it's much cheaper than it, than it has been. And still fundamentals look good. So we think there's actually a good opportunity to have a fund like Fidelity China Special Situations, which really focuses on the domestic growth opportunity in China because of all people concerned about trade wars and exporters, Chinese exporters, there's actually quite a lot of growth that could come from China's you know, domestic economy. And this fund focuses on opportunities um, in that space. And it's very um, heavily invested in consumer discretionary companies and tech companies. And it's also got quite a high weight into A shares, which are um, shares that you can only really access in the Chinese domestic market. Okay. And um, obviously, past performance doesn't provide a, a guide to future performance, um, as we all well know. But um, how, how well has the, the manager done? Yeah, the manager's done very well. So over five years, the fund has made 128%, which is pretty much more than double the return made by the index MSCI China, which made 62%. Okay. Uh, interesting, obviously, this is an investment trust we're talking about. So investment trusts tend to get um, affected by the, the premium and discount as well. So what, what what's this fund currently sitting on? Is this an opportunity to think about as well? The trust has a discount of 10.1%, which actually is broadly in line with its discount to um what's actually not been on the premium for i don't think it's ever been on the premium but it's pretty much within the range that it normally trades so it's not directly a play on a discount are you it's cheaper than it normally is but 
the Chinese market is cheaper than it normally is. And so that's why I think it could be a good idea to hold this fund. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Please uh, make sure you read the magazine and head to the website for more on everything we've talked about, including more on Fidelity China special situations, how to use index link gilts in your portfolio. And there's a feature from Emma on how to design different growth portfolios given different time horizons, which is quite interesting and worth a read. But apart from that, have a good weekend. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.